Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of WCL Pure One Ocean, where we speak with all the champions out there working to protect our ocean. I'm Reese, I'm your host, and I'm excited to bring you another episode for our series on Plastic Free July. We started the series in conversation with the founder of the movement, Rebecca Prince Ruiz, and talked about how you can go plastic free on your own terms in your individual daily life. We then talked to Duray Shin about how to level up your plastic activism. And um, if you haven't listened to those two episodes, I highly recommend you do. You don't need to to understand today's episode, but they're good episodes. Today, we're going to reinforce the importance of this work and better understand the true environmental and human impact of plastic and the importance of inclusion and community building to get to just solutions. So today I'm really excited to speak with our friend Stiv Wilson. Um, Stiv has a long career in environmental activism, specifically on the issue of plastics. Uh, he has sailed 35,000 miles studying the issue. He is a leader in the Break Free from Plastic movement. He's won awards. He's worked with some of the best nonprofit partners out there, including Five Gyres Institute. Um, he's a real leader in this space, and he recently launched a film, The Story of Plastic, which you may have seen screened with some of our partners. And he also has launched his own nonprofit called Peak Plastic Foundation. He's a legend in the space, so we're excited to talk about all this and more. Before we get into the discussion, though, be sure to stick around at the very end. We have a great creative tip for how you can go plastic-free this July from our friend Angela Sun. Okay, let's get into the episode with Stiv Wilson. Stiv, great to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for giving us a little bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to be here. Yeah, good to, good to reconnect. Um, you know, I don't ever like to give someone's intro. I don't want to identify. I want to want to hear how uh, others identify. You have a long storied career in fighting plastic pollution and protecting the planet. But could you kind of maybe give us the quick summary of who you are, what your story is, real quick? Yeah, sure. I'm. You know, it's it's kind of interesting too because it's kind of come full circle. I started, you know, working on plastic from becoming a surfer pretty late in life at 30. Um, I finally lived on a coast and on the coast of Oregon, you know, when you surf there, it's a really remote place. So uh, you can often like find places to surf that you can't see human made object. And I noticed all this plastic on a beach. And at the time I was a journalist, kind of got mad about it, um, realized like, you know, this is incongruent to the natural order. I, I wouldn't really call myself an environmentalist there, but it was more like I studied aesthetic philosophy. So I just thought it was ugly and against <laughs> like, you know, against what nature is. And uh, a friend of mine said, you know, you should talk to this group called the Surfrider Foundation, get involved. And so I went to a meeting and then I became a chapter chair, like within like, six months. And then I started talking to the mayor's office who their sustainability coordinator was, uh, was at the time is now my co-director at Peak Plastic and one of the producers on the film, this woman named Megan Ponder. And so we went set out with Surfrider to ban the bag in Portland, Oregon. And I just kind of got addicted to activism uh, and at that time, a lot of people were talking about the gyres, and I met Anna Cummins, Marcus Erickson uh, in that journey, and helped them get five gyres off the ground, five gyres institute, and got to sail 35,000 nautical miles around the world doing the first ever global estimate. And, you know, on that journey, you know, the, the number one question for me was like, where's this stuff coming from? And 
And I started, you know, I just have a curious mind. I have a journalist mind. And uh, that led me to the Philippines to see, you know, incredibly plastic impacted community. And there was this moment in a landfill uh, called Smoky Mountain. It's called Smoky Mountain because, you know, families live in it and you have organic matter deep underground decomposing and because of pressure it ignites so it literally smokes and people mine this for things that they can sell and it was that moment you know when you say we throw away stuff I realized this was a way and that was the moment where I recognized plastic wasn't just an ocean issue um, or a downstream issue it was a human rights issue and I was like standing here in a way and I resolved to make this film uh, the story of plastic um, because I really wanted to know where this came from and where it goes. Sort of like if you take your recycling bin and you just look at it, there's a whole story before it gets there and after it leaves that bin. Yeah. And so that's essentially what this movie is. And, you know, Hang on, you way, went straight from bio into the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're doing my job for me. <laughs> that, well, that's sort of how it, you know, came together. And I think, you know, uh, I was a skater kid, a snowboarder kid, later a surfer kid. And, you know, you're sort of taught these sort of anti-establishment, like, you know, ways of being. And I and I really liked that sort of culture. And so it's, it's not weird that I became an activist. I've always had sort of a problem with authority, um, never worn a suit. So I was like, um, you know, this will work for me. I'm going to try, you know, try to change the world, you know, in the way that I can as as a person. Well, I think that was that was a great bio and, and background on, on um, you know, your your career to date. Um, I remember first kind of like hearing of you through Anna and Marcus and being like, you've got to talk to Stiv. And, you know, he really is digging in. And I, I started reading some of your like essays online because you were really good at just articulating full points about, you know, what's going on. Right. Not just accepting these sort of um, uh, very simple takes on the story, but going deeper and then, you know, I, I think one moment that I wanted to highlight, because this just like punched me in the gut when we were at the 2018 Our Ocean Conference. Do you remember? And we went to that sort of like um, there was a sort of consulting group doing a whole discussion yeah. at the end of the thing. We're all sitting out there and you have leaders in the plastic movement from, you know, Freud. I think Vaughn was there. I'm not sure. I know Anna was there. Um, Davey from Boreo, I think was there. Doshi from Algalita, you were there. And at one point you just said, you know, if you want to stop single use plastic pollution, you ban fracking in the United States. And I remember just being like, whoa, that's next level. <laughs> you, know, <it> was, <laughs> you know, for, for, for me, like, and I had sailed with five gyres and I kind of knew the extent of the problem, but I just thought you were looking at it with this whole different lens and i mean i guess that brings us to the film so the, the film story of plastic which uh is out now people can uh go find it and watch it on amazon and yeah it's on iTunes, and as itunes as well and then if uh you have discovery go which is like their streaming service you can find it there too it, it showed with discovery for earth day or whatever, but whatever we'll link to wherever you can, your uh, people can find it in the show notes. And we really encourage you if you haven't seen it to watch it, but still sum up, what is the story of plastic? What is this film about? I'll pull, I'll pull up the website for people watching, but kind of give us the, the story behind this, this film and how it came together. Yeah. You know, like I got into it, I sort of was understanding plastic from 
a downstream waste issue. And I think one of the problems with that is if if you are responsible with your waste and you throw things in your recycling bin, you tend to think you're not the problem. But by the time that plastic has gotten to you, it's literally already killed people. It's already pollution. And the, you know, the overall health impacts from plastic are borne uh, disproportionately by people upstream around refineries, around fracking wells. I mean, that's where it is like smoking so gun make, next I want to make sure we hit that point. Sorry to interrupt. And I'll, I'll probably do this a bunch because you're, you're so deep in this that you know it so well. Yeah. So you're saying the majority of the human impacts of plastic, or at least from what we understand, it's at the point of extraction. It's the refineries, it's the wells, it's it's the air pollution that's happening in communities of color that are, you know, unfortunately often positioned next to these things, right? I mean, like, I, I really want people to understand that we can't just think about it as plastic coming off the shelf and going into recycling and then probably into the ocean. It's more so like, hey, let's go back to where this came from, the connection to fossil fuels. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the largest infrastructure being built right now in the United States from fracking and refining is for single-use plastic, mainly packaging, about 40-50% at this point. So this massive infrastructure is being built, and all of those sites are situated purposely in non-resilient communities. And when I say non-resilient, I'm talking about communities that we have historically as the United States kept down, and those are people of color. And this is by design, it's not happenstance. It's if you wanna pollute somewhere, you're never gonna be able to do it in a wealthy community, a wealthy white community. So you have to cite these things at, at places where people do not have the money or the tools to fight back, and you have to continually disenfranchise them so they cannot fight back. And if you look at the demographics, like, you know, we're in an era of like Black Lives Matter where finally we've hit a fever pitch and we're having a reckoning as a country around the racial injustice that not only has perpetuated, but is is by design, you know, starting with sort of like, you know, slavery through the Southern strategy and Nixon, like we have designed, a, a, you know, a slave labor force and places and communities um, by keeping them down that we can pollute and cite these things. So when you're living, you know, in the Houston Ship Channel was the second largest petrochemical complex um, in the nation and you're you're not monitoring the air or you're, you're telling people you're monitoring the air, but you're not actually doing it and you're delisting toxins, you know, the, the, the like lifespan of people, the cancer rates, the asthma rates, the, the birth problems, like that's the story of plastic. It's not whether you're eating sushi that a fish, you know, from a fish that's eaten plastic. Like that's, that's like, you know, that's, that may be doing some harm, but, what you're breathing and what you're drinking around where plastic is made. So when we get into the story of plastic, we're trying to say, I think the meta thing is this is based on racial injustice. It's based on colonialism. And what we really want the viewer to understand is like when you're reaching for that bottle off the shelf, you have to understand by the time it got to you that it had to cause massive suffering to real people's lives. 
um, in order for you to get that level of convenience. And then, the, you know, the problem continues uh, at disposal. And so, you know, that's essentially what the story of plastic does. It tells the entire system story from the perspective of the oppressed and also the leaders around the world who are rising up to take it down, that, that complex. I, I, you, you segue perfectly to my next kind of point on the film. You know, when you sent me an early screener of it, I was so impressed with the the characters in it, not characters, the leaders, right? I mean, you have Freud and, and, and the team in the Philippines. You have um, Yvette in Texas. I mean, you have people who are underrepresented, typically, uh, particularly in the ocean conservation space or in the environmental space where it's often sort of like, you know, guys like you and me, like, hey, heroes, we're out here, like, talking about plastic pollution. It's like, hang on, let's actually tell the story through the perspective of the communities that are affected most. And I thought that was one of the best qualities of the film. I mean, you, you really highlight the global South and, and the communities affected. I mean, I you mentioned, you know, injustice being by design previously, and it seems like you're trying to write that injustice by design, by making sure that we tell the stories with those communities forward. Yeah, you know, and for me, it's not just a matter of equity and our whole film team. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to my producer, Megan Ponder, and uh, my director, Dea Schlossberg, because, you know, it, it's not just a matter of equity. Like, you know, there were parts like we wanted to, to showcase more women scientists um, than male scientists in the film. So there are little undercurrents of equity throughout the whole thing. But at the same time, I think one of the, you know, issues is from a strategy standpoint, if we actually want to win this 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 war on plastic, um, we need a lot more stakeholders at the table. And, you know, because like privileged white people on the coast are not a big enough or powerful enough constituency to actually change the world. So at every part of the supply chain, you have to find those leaders and you have to amplify them and you have to get resources to them. And, you know, our hope was that by amplifying these voices, uh, they would become more resourced and build power throughout the entire system to intervene and take it down. I think I think it's a, a really solid strategy, right? I mean, those those community wins happen when we're looking out for each other. We're stronger together across the board, and we can't just show up and all of a sudden last minute say, "Hey, will you support my thing?" You know, community that I didn't care about until now. I think that you can be useful. You know, we need to be in this together and supporting one another all the way along. Um, so I think that that equity and, and that um, angle on the storytelling was really important, and it was really clear in the film. I thought it, I thought it nailed it. Um, a lot of that I want to quickly touch on break free from plastic because a lot of that community comes from the break free from plastic um, collective movement, um, you know, just incredible, you know, community of, of people and stakeholders and leaders around the world from Priggy and Tiza and every, like all these people who are doing this work. Do you want, want to quickly kind of mention break free from plastic and maybe we'll even touch on the break free from plastic act um, before we get into peak plastic? Yeah, sure. So. Break Free from Plastic came around about four or five years ago when um, a funder from Europe was was they were wanting to get into the plastic space and they were assessing the entire landscape. And, you know, un unfortunately for I think a lot of people to hear is they were least interested in the downstream product by product ban groups and they were most interested 
in the grassroots zero waste organizers around the planet, which totally flipped the power dynamic in, you know, the response to plastic pollution. And it was incredibly uncomfortable for a lot of white people, to be so, honest. Slow that down for a second. So um, you're saying these these funders were saying, hey, we don't care so much about these maybe um, fancier activists who want to go upstream or wait, did you say upstream or downstream? They want more of the ground. They didn't want to go downstream. They were saying, let's go upstream, but go with the the grassroots. So the, the local sort of community organizers. Yeah, absolutely. And those, you know, people were not, you know, organizing around whales and dolphins. And, you know, that was not their message or their narrative. But so they weren't like, you know, in the plastic pollution space in the way we understood it at the time. And in order to like start a movement, you need to have representation from around the world. So I was one of 10 original steering committee members for Break Free From Plastic. And we built a strategic framework and took it to Tagatai, Philippines. And at that point developed with about 60 odd NGOs the first Tagatai strategy, which is what the strategy of Break Free from Plastic is. What and is Tagatai? Tagatai. It's a town in the Philippines. Okay, and, that's the name of the town. Okay. Yeah. And so um, we then realized, you know, if if you don't have a funding mechanism for a strategy, it, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. So in parallel, <laughs> we were working with funders to create the Plastic Solutions Fund, but, you know, really keep it church and state, like keep it separated. But, you know, there were 10 of us who were architects of all of this. Um, and ultimately, we developed this strategy. We invited people to co-create the strategy with us, not just say, are you in or are you out? Uh, and that has grown to now over like 2,000 organizations and Break Free From Plastic um, who are all working from a common strategic framework. Um, and it's enumerated sort of in the Break Free From Plastic uh, um, collateral on the website, and, and you can read the strategy there. But what it was doing is trying to marry the global south and the global north, the upstream and the downstream, the privileged um, and, you know, the, the under-resourced, and really see if we can get on the same page and take a whole systemic intervention. And why that was so crucial at the time is like climate campaigners five years ago had already gotten to the point that said, keep it in the ground. Like you can't, you you can't manage that. Like you can't burn fossil fuels in such a way that the climate is not going to change. And right. so they're like, we have to, we, we have to stop fossil fuels. Yeah. So they hedged, you know, the fossil fuel companies hedged in plastic because those activists were far less organized than climate campaigners. And and so this is how they hedged their bet. And so hang on, hang on explain that just so people sure. really get it. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I know what you're talking about, but I want to make sure our listeners understand. You're saying the plastic industry hedged the bet saying, OK, we're going to lose this maybe, uh, you know, fuel and gasoline uh, income stream in the long run to electric vehicles. Like, let's let's assume that. And then we, where can we shift our oil? Where can we put it into products to create a new income stream or grow an income stream? Is that correct? Yeah. And that's okay. exactly right. Like the thing to think about is oil companies are plastic companies, petrochemical companies 
are oil companies, are plastic companies. They're all the, they're like Hydra. They're all the same head of a, a or they're all different heads of the same beast. And so they <laughs> I just don't. Have, I have a new mental image for fossil fuel companies now. The, yeah, the Hydra. absolutely. And they don't care where these chemicals, all they want is a market for for that stuff coming out of the ground. They don't care if it's, you know, fertilizers. They don't care if it's plastic. They don't care if it's chemicals for chemical recycling of plastic. They just want to make sure there is a demand for it. So to your point, and my point exactly is... We're using less uh, oil for um, and and for fuels and for heating, and you know, and also just energy production um, with sort of solar, wind, and electric vehicles coming online. So the long term forecast is down for for that kind of uh, you know refining and that kind of capacity. So the way to hedge the bet is to inundate the world with single use plastic and packaging solutions so they can keep the growth going, um, but just in a different product stream. So yeah, I think it's really important for your listeners to understand that like, if it's made from oil, it hurts the earth and it doesn't matter what that oil becomes, whether it's going into your car to drive you forward or going into your potato chip bag. They don't care, um, but we do. So how do you, how do, I mean, that's heavy and that's very real. How do we avoid that just feeling like complete crushing, overwhelming sort of um, stay in your house and don't go anywhere and don't buy anything and don't eat anything? And, um, you know, like you obviously exist in a system here, you know, um, how do you how do you avoid that being the feeling that comes out of that? It may be in your personal. I mean, clearly you're putting yourself to work and, <laughs> and trying to battle it. Maybe that's your way of dealing it. But what would you say to the person listening right now who is going, oh, my God, like, what, what do we do? Because that sounds like. Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing to to stop doing is is blaming yourself because you live in a system. You don't have a choice. You know, we all work hard. Some of us are raising children and we don't have a lot of time in the day. And when we go to the grocery store, we cannot have it cannot be required for us to have a, a you know, a Ph.D. in chemistry, ecotoxicology and sustainability to just go home and cook something. So, first of all, recognize that you're in the system. The next thing to do is quit thinking you can solve it by yourself. Like it is great to take a reusable bag and a reusable bottle, but real change of a system happens when there's collective action. And so, you know, I think I'm, it's a really inspiring time in the United States because we for a long time culturally promote the individual, not the collective. Um, Asian countries are very different in that philosophy. It's, it's the many before the one, not the one before the many. And, you know, we are in a culture of Instagram influencers and eco heroes and da, 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 da. So like the way when when we see a movie like the one uh, I made, you look you look at it and say, I need to do something. And I'm like, first thing is you say we need to do something. That's the first step. And that will actually once you get involved, it's sort of like improves your quality of life. You know, we've been trying to entertain ourselves and buy new things and, you know, be a part or, or you know, 
get the the little dopamine from clicks of of likes on Instagram and Facebook. And you know, these are the master's tools and the master's house will not be undone with the master's tools. So first of all, it's time to like really talk as a community of what you want that community to look like. And there are massive entrepreneurial uh opportunities for redesigning systems. And so I see it as an opportunity and less as just a bury your head in the sand um, or, you know, cry yourself to sleep. Because what we're doing is calling out a bad system that we all live in. And now it's up to us to redesign that system with empathy, creativity, and justice. I love that. I, um, you know, I, I think sometimes knowing this information can be overwhelming. Like we said, you know, if you're, if you're hearing this for the first time, or maybe you're hearing it for the hundredth time, it can always feel like, Oh my goodness, what do we do? But it's just information. It's just the truth. And once you have that, you can then figure out how you react to that and reframe your mind and say, this is what I'm going to go do. This is what I can take control of in my daily life. And then what can we do together? And I I love that MO that you're bringing together. I I did. I think it's worthwhile to hit on the um, federal break free from plastic pollution act and then we can get into peak plastic. Um, do you want to kind of give a quick descriptor on the uh, the act that's currently proposed in the U.S.? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty exciting to finally have a bill where we are talking about upstream and downstream issues. We're putting moratoriums on infrastructure build out. Um, we're also regulating at the product level. So you now have an intersection in a movement because the bill speaks to people living at different parts of the system. And what I mean by that is if you live in a frontline community next to a refinery or you live on the coast where you're seeing plastic on the beach, there's something in that bill for you. And so we, you know, we can work together now intersectionally um, to build power to pass an act like this. Um, I think, you know, a lot of us who are working on this want to see this done at the state level, you know, because we have a bit of gridlock at the federal. But, you know, finally, we have environmental justice organizers and sort of like Patagonia wearing plastic pollution activists who live on the coast. They're at the same meeting, you know, and they're 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 working together. And that is a huge step in the right direction because that's what industry fears is all of us talking to each other and strategizing together because they've been playing whack-a-mole for a long time. It's like stamp it out here and this is how we stamp them out. But when you have, you know, a diverse um, coalition of people, it's really hard for them to frame and manipulate the issue. If, 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 if we're just working at one part of the system, it's much easier for them to do that. Yeah, that's that's a really well put when you have that broad base of, you know, support across a number of different constituencies, regions, geographies, you know, um, it's it's uh, it's harder to to defend against. Um, yeah, I mean, the one it, thing I do want to say is it's a start like it, it's 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 groundbreaking in its yeah. scope. You know, there are other things we need to deal with. It doesn't deal with toxics very well yet. So th- there's there's more work to be done. But at least we have a bill that speaks to a framework of stakeholders that together can work together to pass it. And so it's a good it's a quantum leap. um, But, you know, it isn't the speed of light yet. Yeah. Um, So 
speaking of other things people can do and taking action, you have now started a new organization called Peak Plastic Foundation. And uh, I thought you could share a little bit about Peak Plastic and what you're aiming to do, some of your early work beyond Story of Plastic. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Megan and I, Megan Ponder is a producer on Story of Plastic, as I mentioned before, is my partner at Peak Plastic Foundation. And one of the things we noticed when we were making that movie is we kept inviting uh, folks to come with us to sort of get the lived experience of being in these places, you know, that are inundated. And what we also recognized is activists there really benefited from their stories getting out to the broader world or the global North world. And every person we took along, it literally changed their lives. Like we took Kate Nelson, Plastic Free Mermaid. We took Michael Doshi from Algalita. And um, Emma Priestland is corporate uh, person for Break Free from Plastic. And it utterly changed their perspective on the issue and utterly changed their lives. And they started messaging and changing their organizations and changing how they approach the topic. And that started scaring the heck out of industry. So our aim at Peak Plastic is to keep creating those opportunities of doing that intersectional storytelling where we bring coalitions of people together to create media and blow up and amplify the issue, but do it asymmetrically over many different kinds of channels. And so, you know, in the time of COVID right now, we all recognized we're in a we're at a serious crossroads for humanity on the planet. And we've been producing um, you know, really trying to figure out if you can make compelling films remotely and by crowdsourcing footage and, you know, doing exactly what you and I are doing is like being on Zoom and recording a podcast. See if we can make films this way. And um, we recognize that we need to like step back from being worried about bag bands being, you know, overturned and really look at the whole system and create a just recovery from COVID-19 because we're never going to get this opportunity where the impossible becomes possible again in our lifetimes. So we've been, again, telling stories from around the world of people working together to recover justly um, from this pandemic. And that is going to bleed into broader work where we're really going to investigate the nexus of plastic pollution um, and racial justice um, and really get deep into these stories of people who are living around uh, refineries, uh, frontline and fenceline communities in the United States because their stories have yet to be amplified in our world. They've been told locally, but again, you know, like yeah. the, the experience you have living next to in St. James Paris, Louisiana as a black person, and this plant, this massive Formosa plant being, you know, built there, it is going to kill those people. And, yeah. you know, we want to amplify that and continue the storytelling work and have it seed campaigns. So it's one part intersectional storytelling, one part strategy develop, um, one part media and one one part uh, campaigning coalition building. I love it. I was um, I was sharing in while you were chatting there a little bit, and I'll pull it back up now. But this is a clip of Doshi that he had shared with us previously. Michael Doshi um, rocking the Take Three for the C shirt. But uh, this was on your trip, right? Uh, and he's standing in front of for people who are just listening. He's standing in front of this mountain. It seems of 
uh, plastic filament and waste left over from uh, cardboard, you know, right? So this is the leftover, so the, the residuals, so to speak, right? And this will get sorted through by the waste pickers. And I think what sticks out to me, besides the shocking value of this imagery of the like, oh my goodness, look at this pile of plastic and knowing that it largely came from, you know, Western countries and was shipped over there. I think the thing that is really powerful and what I noticed in, in Doshi when he came back from that trip um, was how much he also thought about the people there because he had been with you and got to meet Priggy and, you know, so many of the local people who've been working on the issue and understanding um, their challenge better and understanding the people who have a job as a result of this waste and the waste pickers who have a whole economy built around it and really taking a more systems approach to his thinking of how do we, how do we fight this, so to speak. Um, I just, it, it just speaks to your point around you take people, you really show them, you create those connections between those two communities that wouldn't normally have it and then look at what the result is and it changes the way we think about solutions. Yeah. And, you know, it's it it warms my heart because, you know, Doshi and Priggy have become really good friends. And, you know, Algoida is bringing in like programming from Indonesia, from the same stuff that Priggy's organization, Ecoton, are working on. And, you know, let me tell for, you, like, for context, Priggy is a world renowned environmentalist from Indonesia. Everyone. Um, he has Golden Prize winner. Amazing yeah. guy. Tru- but, truly like next level. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, and so, like, he's so smart. Like, this guy does the, like, coolest direct actions you've ever seen. And he travels with two lawyers at all times. And, you know, when we first met him, you know, because I speak no Bahasa and his English is good, but, like, not at a metaphorical competence level. And, you know, he picked us up from the airport. He's like, come, you know, come to Surabaya, see our work. And Megan and I were like, okay, you know, this is an interesting story for Story of Plastic, but we didn't know what to expect. And so he picks us up in the car and we go directly into this direct action where they're going straight out of Compton at the government. And like, <laughs> I'm like, wow. And we're like, we right don't know. The the, yeah. <laughs> we don't know the legality of this. We don't know if we're like, you know, because it's before I even knew Priggy, you know, it like really. And you know, we're starting to be followed by the police in Indonesia. And Priggy, like, is hyper-emotionally intelligent. And he, like, he looks at both Megan and I, and he's like, you worry? You worry? The police? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, don't worry. Our police are not like your police. And we're like, wow. Um, You know, like, he just, like, nailed this in so many ways. And then the other favorite Priggy moment was we're filming him doing a direct action a couple of years later, you know, stuff that ended up in the story of plastic. And CNN Indonesia is filming this uh, because Priggy gets, like, 20 media people out anytime he does an action. And CNN wanted to interview me making this film. And I was like, that's the guy, you know, that's the guy doing the thing. We're filming him. But they were like, oh, you know, like white guy in Indonesia making movie. He's more interesting than Indonesian guy doing action. So I like, I was like, hold on. I talked to Priggy and I was like, Priggy, this guy wants to interview me. He's like, do it. And he's like, I want you to say these five bullet points exactly. And like in a in a moment, we have this communication where Priggy realizes like we're not going to solve the like global north elitism of that, the the post-colonial residue or the systemic racism in that, Mm -hmm. like in this moment. But we can turn it on its head 
and have me just be a messenger for his, like, what his agenda is. And, you know, I get interviewed by CNN. Well, uh, and they're like, wow, you really know a lot about Indonesian politics and, you know, how change. And I just started laughing because I was like, so like, that's how great this guy is. Like, he's he's so smart and he knows how to flip things, you know, on their head in a second. You know, he's got he's got the gift of Gav and, and uh, you know, he's an and, incredible dude. And apparently it runs in the family because his whole family, his wife and his daughters are all super activists. And we're actually we've reached out to Tara, his daughter. Um, to maybe have her on the show uh, to wrap up our little segment here on Plastic Free July because we really wanted to hear directly from um, Priggy or, or you know someone over in Indonesia about you know their experience with all of this. So we're going to be extending this story into another episode, hopefully. That's awesome. Tara's a forest because she's the perfect mixture of Priggy and Priggy's wife Daru. Daru is the voice of reason. You know, in the family, <laughs> and so Priggy's like, let's let's do this crazy thing, and Daryl's like, well, let's let's tamp it down a little bit, and let's make sure there's strategy, and that we get the meeting with the government and all yeah. that. And Tara's like the 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 like the synchronicity between those things, and it's beautiful. Love it. Love it. Um, all right, man. Uh, I, w- I want to start wrapping it up um, just to respect your time. I know you've got two brand new little kids at home. Um, twins and uh, I know ocean that probably, and forest. I love two it. baby I, girls. I love it, man. Um, so you either you know need to attend to them or go get a nap if you can. If I can free up some of your time, but one um, one sort of final question we always ask, and I'm really curious to hear what you say, um, both as a surfer but also as an activist. If you could take one person, anyone, with you to go surfing or sailing, whatever you want, um, who, who would you take with you? Where would you go and what would you talk about? Anyone in the world? That's a tough question, but I'm probably going to say Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, RBG. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think she'd probably shred it, you know. Uh, uh, Are you no, surfing or sailing? You're going to take her surfing? I'm going to take her surfing. because She works out, but, her, you know, I don't know how her pop-up would be. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, maybe she can sponge it a little bit. But, you know, actually, like, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's hard for me, like, surfers to me, uh, you know, pro surfers have a have a lot of responsibility and uh, ability to, like, get these issues out there. But I don't necessarily look at them as heroes, because um, they're athletes. But, you know, if I if I, uh, um, I would say my favorite surfer, um, that I don't want to surf her because she's too badass for me is Bianca Valente. And um, yeah, I would like Super to badass. watch, I would like to watch her surf Mavericks. If that is on my bucket list. Um, yeah, I'll watch that from the shore. I'm not paddling yeah. out with Mavericks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to say Bianca is my call. Okay. But, but RBG, but um, so you'd, if you were to take RBG, what would you talk about? Um, talk about, this is more of an activism question than it is a surfing question. Most sure. people answer along those lines. Yeah, I would say is how do we ensure in our future the separation of powers um, between the judicial, executive and legislative branch? And what are the things that activists can do to ensure that we have checks and balances uh, moving forward in a time where we're seeing a serious erosion of that. And we're seeing executive power doing things like 
totally upturning marine protected areas off the uh, East Coast with with no fundamental um, right to do so constitutionally. So I would get pretty deep with her, I would think. I'm only um, smiling and kind of chuckling to myself because I'm thinking of uh, um, it's Sarah Cooper, I believe the comedian online who's been doing the uh, parodies of our federal administrators and that she kind of like parodies her voiceovers and she did one of the um, the lobster discussion in Maine recently when it was announced that they're rolling back the protections. If you haven't seen it, I'll send it to you. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's gold. Um, Please anyways, do. Stiv, uh, really, it was a pleasure to connect. Anything else you want to share with you know, we're going to link to peak plastic. We're going to link to story of plastic. Um, anything else you want to share with uh, our listeners before we go? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny. Like I've been in this game a long time and I'm finally a father. So now I can start speeches with as a father, which every father <laughs> seems to do. Uh, but, you know, don't get discouraged. Like we might need to go through this really hard time in the United States to actually grow up as a country. We've had unprecedented prosperity and we've gotten lazy in our democracy. And I think right now we're learning what's essential and what we want the future to look like for ourselves and our children. So look at this as a moment of reckoning and building rather than a moment of destruction because we will get through this and we will triumph and the world's going to be a better place for it. That's a, that's a beautiful outlook, man. Um, I really, really appreciate that. Steph, and I appreciate all the work that you do, um, you know, both in front of and behind the camera and behind the scenes to, to make the world a better place. So thanks Steve. I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. You too, Reese. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. You really have to appreciate Steve's positive outlook. I mean, he's seen some of the worst of the worst effects of plastic pollution and more importantly of environmental injustice. And yet he still has this positive outlook. I also love the mental shift from I to we. That's so, so important. I mean, yes, like you individual listener, you can make change and you can have an impact, but you cannot solve everything yourself. So it's on us to be leaders and be great examples to others and our collective impact will be even bigger. Finally, I love the work that Stiv and Peak Plastic Foundation are doing for a just recovery. They recently released a series of videos about this, and they're linked in the show notes. So please do go check those out and check out Peak Plastic and check out the story of plastic. It is really worthwhile to educate yourself on this topic. Okay, that's it for this week, but stick around. At the end, we've got a creative tip from our friend Angela Sun. Thank you, Angela, for sending in a tip. She is a stellar plastic activist as well. And thank you for listening. If you dig this podcast, please throw us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Our friend Jules from the Midwest did this this week, and it made our day. Thank you, Jules. And generally, we love hearing from you. Email us your tips for going plastic-free at oneocean at wslpure.org. Hit us up on social media at wslpure and subscribe to our newsletter at wslpure.org. Until next week, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy, staying positive, staying plastic-free, and now switching your mindset from I to we. All right, here's a tip from our friend, Angela Sun. Hey, everyone. I'm Angela Sun from Plastic Paradise calling in from Los Angeles. And my best tip for skipping, reducing, cleaning up plastic pollution is just to stop it at the source. Say no. And especially when you go to the grocery store, I know it sounds super simple, but just take your basket or your cart out to your car where you have your reusable bags and fill it up there. 
and then return the cart or basket. There's no need to take a plastic bag out with you for that short time traveling to your car to the parking lot. It's super easy, and it's something we can do in the time of COVID. 